This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Hey friends, I can't believe we're almost halfway through November already. Of course, when I'm recording this, we're just coming up on Halloween, but still, time is flying by. This week, I'll share my thoughts on Midnight is the Darkest Hour by Ashley Winstead, Mother Daughter Murder Night by Nina Simon, Mavefly by CJ Lead, and Pretty by Keith F. Miller Jr. But first, as we always do, let's take a look at some of this week's new releases. First on my list is The Edge by David Baldacci. The 620 Man is back, dropped by his handlers into a small coastal town in Maine to solve the murder of a CIA agent who knew America's dirtiest secrets. Can Travis Devine uncover the truth before his time runs out? Have a feeling you will. Next is Day by Michael Cunningham. As the world changes around them, a family weathers the storms of growing up, growing older, falling in and out of love, losing the things that are most precious, and learning to go on. Then we have Artifacts of an Ex by Jennifer Chen. When Chloe Chang gets dumped via USPS after moving across the country from New York City to LA, her first instinct is to throw her box of memories in the garbage. Instead, she starts buying up other teenagers' breakup boxes to create an art exhibit called Artifacts. Next is Pretty by Keith F. Miller Jr., and I will have a review on this one along with a synopsis later on in the episode. Next is A Very Inconvenient Scandal by Jacqueline Mitchard. This is a page-turning family drama that explores the emotional consequences of loyalty, deception, and jealousy. Then we have Only She Came Back by Margot Harrison. This is a chilling contemporary thriller about an unlikely friendship between a true crime fan and a former high school classmate suspected of murdering her boyfriend. Next is The Little Liar by Mitch Albom, a powerful novel that moves from a coastal Greek city during the Holocaust to America, where the intertwined lives of three survivors are forever changed by the perils of deception and the grace of redemption. Next is Wish of the Wicked by Danielle Page. This is a dark spin on fairy godmothers. Then we have Just Once by Karen Kingsbury, a sweeping and unforgettable World War II love story about a young woman torn between two brothers. Next is A Wish for Christmas by Courtney Cole. An unhappily married couple makes a wish on an enchanted snow globe that they had never met, but when they wake up the next day in separate lives, the magic of Christmas helps them to realize that some love is just meant to be. And last on my list is Plot Twist by Erin LaRosa. Romance author Sophie Lyons' ironic secret just went viral. She's never been in love, and it's ruining her reputation. With a manuscript deadline looming, Sophie makes an ambitious plan to overcome her writer's block, 
reunite with her exes, including her last girlfriend Carla, the one person she could have loved, to learn why she's never fallen in love, and document it all for her millions of new online followers. This week, I bought copies of Hex Education and Suburban Hell by Maureen Kilmer. My new Bookstagram friend, Scott, aka Fashionably Late Books, did an Instagram live chat with her, and this happened earlier in October, and afterward I knew I had to check these books out, so I snagged them. Can't wait to read them. All right, that's all I have on the new book front, so let's start with the reviews. And we'll start by taking a look at Midnight is the Darkest Hour by Ashley Winstead. This book was first published by Source Books on October 3rd, 2023. The synopsis reads, For fans of Verity and A Flicker in the Dark, this is a twisted tale of murder, obsessive love, and the beastly urges that lie dormant within us all, even the God-fearing folk of Bottom Springs, Louisiana. In her small hometown, librarian Ruth Cornier has always felt like an outsider, even as her beloved father rains fire and brimstone warnings from the pulpit at Holy Fire Baptist. Unfortunately for Ruth, the only things the townspeople fear more than the god and the devil are the mists that haunt the area, like the story of the low man, a figure said to steal into sinners' bedrooms and kill them on moonless nights. When a skull is found deep in the swamp next to mysterious carved symbols, Bottom Springs is thrown into uproar, and Ruth realizes only she and Everett, an old friend with a dark past, have the power to comb the town's secret underbelly in search of true evil. A dark and powerful novel like fans have come to expect from Ashley Winstead, Midnight is the Darkest Hour is an examination of the ways we've come to expect love, religion, and stories to save us, the lengths we have to go in order to take back power, and the monstrous work of being a girl in this world. This is the first book that I've read by this author. I've heard great things about her, especially about The Last Housewife, which I own but still haven't read. The premise of this one sounded right up my alley, so I pre-ordered a copy and started reading it the same day it was released. While I didn't hate the book by any means, I was left feeling a little underwhelmed in the end. In this book, readers are transported to the small, God-fearing southern coastal town of Bottom Springs, Louisiana. We are immediately introduced to Ruth Cornier, a librarian who has always felt like an outsider in her own community despite being local royalty. Ruth is the daughter and only child of the town's fire and brimstone preacher. Ruth was always raised to be the obedient child and endured her God-fearing parents' strict ways for many years, but when she stumbles upon a donated copy of Twilight at the local library, it awakens something in her. Then, one evening, Ruth sneaks out for a date with an older guy who is new to town. When he forces himself on Ruth, the son of the town drunk saves her, but this salvation comes at a price. The actions of that night are the beginning of a beautiful friendship between Ruth and Everett, the two of them forever bound by what happened that night. Seven years later, human remains are found in the swampy area where Ruth was attacked, and soon Ruth and Everett find themselves embroiled in the mystery. When another set of remains is found, it's up to Ruth and Everett to find out what is really going on. Their lives and freedom depend on it. The book is full of interesting characters. Ruth is a woman struggling to find her place in a town filled with prejudice and superstition. Her friendship with Everett, who harbors a troubled past, adds an interesting dynamic to the story. I loved Ruth's rebellion and her sweet friendship with Everett. I rooted for them the entire time. On the flip side, Ruth's parents are awful, horrid people, as most fire and brimstone people are, and are more concerned with their status in the town and their wealth than Ruth's well-being. The setting of the book is also vividly depicted by the author. 
I could feel the heat and humidity hanging in the air. I lived in the South for a few years, and I'm familiar with these small, God-fearing towns, and I could easily picture Bottom Springs. I think my biggest problem with this book was I wasn't ever completely sure where I was going. I went into it thinking I was going to get something paranormal out of it. The summary mentioned a local urban legend, and the cover gives werewolf vibes, but aside from Ruth's twilight obsession, we don't get werewolves or vampires, and the local urban legend is whispered about but never really evolves past that. There is some witchcraft involved, but it felt slightly underdeveloped. Despite the fact that the pacing and the story felt a little uneven to me, I did like the ending. While the reveal of what had really been happening in Bottom Springs was a little underwhelming, the last few pages, especially the ending, was pretty fast-paced. I liked how it all ended. I just wish I'd enjoyed the entire book as much as I enjoyed the last few pages. Overall, I felt the book could have used a little more focus. I also realize I'm in the minority here because many people have loved this one. For me, it wasn't awful. It was just okay. I gave it three stars. Next, we'll take a look at Nina Simon's Mother-Daughter Murder Night. This book was first published on September 5th, 2023, and was Risa's book club pick that same month. The synopsis reads, High-powered businesswoman Lana Rubicon has a lot to be proud of. Her keen intelligence, impeccable taste, and the L.A. real estate empire she's built. But when she finds herself trapped 300 miles north of the city, convalescing in a sleepy coastal town with her adult daughter Beth and teenage granddaughter Jack, Lana is stuck counting otters instead of square footage, and hoping that boredom won't kill her before the cancer does. Then Jack, tiny in stature but fiercely independent, happens upon a dead body while kayaking. She quickly becomes a suspect in the homicide investigation, and the Rubicon women are thrown into chaos. Beth thinks Lana should focus on recovery, but Lana has a better idea. She'll pull on her wig, find the true murderer, protect her family, and prove she still has power. With Jack and Beth's help, Lana uncovers a web of lies, family vendettas, and land disputes lurking beneath the surface of a community populated by folksy conservationists and wealthy ranchers. But as their amateur snooping advances into ever more dangerous territory, the headstrong Rubicon women must learn to do the one thing they've always resisted, depend on each other. For whatever reason, when this book was announced as Reese's book club pick in September, I wasn't super excited about it. But I had told myself I was going to read each of her picks this year, so I bought the book and then tucked it away for a few weeks so I could read all of my horror and thriller books for October. When I came back to it, still wasn't super excited about it. I like my mysteries gritty and shocking rather than cutesy and cozy. But I dug in anyway. I didn't hate it, but to me, it was just okay. The book focuses on three generations of women, Lana, her daughter Beth, and Beth's daughter Jack. When Lana collapses in her L.A. home and later learns she has cancer, she heads north to a small coastal town to stay with Beth and Jack for a few months while she goes through treatment and recovers. One evening, Lana is awake, unable to sleep, when she sees what appears to be a man down the coast. He seems to be dumping something from a wheelbarrow into the water. The next day, Jack stumbles upon a lifeless body during one of her kayaking expeditions. It's not long before the police are questioning Jack about the mysterious death, and because she's a bit of a pit bull and very protective of her granddaughter, Lana is soon stepping in. With the support and assistance of Jack and Beth, she delves into the dark underbelly of a community entangled with deceitful agendas, simmering family feuds, and contentious land disputes. As their amateur investigation progresses, the Rubicon women are forced to rely on one another, but in order to do that, they'll need to put their past differences aside before they can solve the murder. 
While I didn't find the story especially deep or compelling, I did appreciate the characters. Lana is a hoot. She's someone who is so used to having control over everything and then suddenly finds herself cooped up in the house all day. So forcing her way into a murder investigation is very exciting for her. Of course she's going to take the chance to get involved. The author does a great job conveying Lana's frustration at being trapped in a place that does not align with her ambitious personality, juxtaposing it with the tranquility and simplicity that the coastal town offers. Lana is someone who needs excitement, so naturally she's going to get involved in this. The other characters are also well-developed, and I like the connection between the three Rubicon women. While their interactions were enjoyable enough, their growth and development were somewhat predictable. The supporting characters, while serving a purpose to the overall story, weren't overly memorable to me. The writing's tight, the setting's descriptive, the pacing felt steady. While I didn't find the mystery overly complex, it was still a decent read. Fans of family dramas and light, cozy mysteries will likely really enjoy this one. In the end, no surprise, I thought it was just okay. I rated it three stars. It's break time. Now I'll share my thoughts on the wildly entertaining Mavefly by C.J. Lead. This book was first published by Tor Nightfire on June 6, 2023. The synopsis reads, By day, Mavefly works at the happiest place in the world as every child's favorite ice princess. By the neon night glow of the Sunset Strip, Mave haunts the dive bars with a drink in one hand and a book in the other, imitating her misanthropic literary heroes. But when Gideon Green, her best friend's brother, moves to town, he awakens something dangerous within her, and the world she knows suddenly shifts beneath her feet. Untethered, Maeve ditches her discontented act and tries on a new persona, a bolder, bloodier one, inspired by the pages of American Psycho. Step aside, Patrick Bateman. It's Maeve's turn with the knife. Y'all, this book blew me away. I've had it on my list for a few months and almost added it to my month of creepy reads for October's episodes, but for whatever reason, I didn't. Stupid me. I think one of the reasons I put it off was because I was afraid it was going to have far too much body horror for me to handle. I like horror, but I don't like extreme body horror with graphic descriptions that seem to go on for days. For whatever reason, I was afraid that is what this book would be made of. One day, I was browsing Instagram, read a review of it, where the person said they too would put it off for fear of extreme gore, but they ended up loving it, so I decided to give it a go, and I'm so glad I did. I read the entire book in roughly four hours, nonstop, didn't move from the couch. As soon as I started, I couldn't stop. This is a wild and captivating ride that had me riveted. The book focuses on Maeve Fly, a young woman who works as a princess at the happiest place on Earth, which we all know as Disneyland, though it's never called that in the book for obvious reasons. She and her best friend Kate work in the main park area. Maeve is the, quote, ice princess, and Kate is her sister. Most everyone working here uses this as a side gig while also going on auditions, hoping to make it big in California. Maeve isn't like everyone else, though. As cheesy as it sounds, Maeve loves this job and can't imagine working anywhere else. When Gideon Green, Kate's brother, arrives in town, something inside Maeve awakens. Gideon is immediately taken by Maeve, but she isn't that into him, at least not at first. 
Eventually, something shifts in her and she begins to see him as someone she might be able to be with, provided he never finds out about the bodies. One of the things that struck me the most about this book was how messed up Maeve was, yet at the same time, she remains strangely likable. By day, she takes on the role of every child's beloved ice princess, working at a renowned theme park. But by night, she becomes a different person altogether, haunting the dark and gritty corners of the Sunset Strip. When it comes to Maeve, the author manages to find the perfect balance between normal and completely fucked up. To those around her, Maeve seems like your typical pretty California blonde with a bit of an edge, but what bubbles beneath this perfect veneer is something really, really fucked up. Through skillful and evocative prose, readers will feel every pulse-pounding moment and every disturbing thought that crosses Maeve's mind. The author's descriptive style allows readers to fully immerse themselves in the dark and twisted world she inhabits, making it impossible to tear yourself away from the story. This is a book that pushes boundaries and challenges the typical conventions of the psychological thriller and horror genres. The pacing of the story is fantastic, with each chapter leaving you hungry for the next, but also moving forward with a sense of dread, but in a good way, wondering what Maeve is going to do next. And even though she's not a good person, we kind of find ourselves rooting for her in some weird way. What sets this book apart for me is its unapologetic exploration of the complexities of human nature. Maeve is a flawed protagonist, but it's through her flaws that she becomes relatable and captivating, and that makes this all the more terrifying. For the record, when I say relatable, I don't mean in a, like, a murdery, savvy way. Some of the things Maeve does are horrifying, but when she's not killing people, she's actually a pretty cool person, someone I could be friends with. Lee does not shy away from showcasing Maeve's darkest thoughts and actions, delving deep into her psyche and creating a character that's both terrifying and magnetic. This book was mesmerizing and addictive, and it kept me entranced from beginning to end. With its richly descriptive prose and unforgettable characters, this novel stands out as one of the most original and captivating psychological thrillers that I've read in a very long time. It's definitely one of my favorites this year. If you're a fan of thrilling and thought-provoking stories that push boundaries, pick this one up. It's a must-read. I gave it a solid five stars. We'll close out with Pretty by Keith F. Miller Jr. I received an advanced copy of this book, courtesy of the publisher through NetGalley, in exchange for an honest review. The book is published by Harper Teen and publishes on November 14th, 2023. The synopsis reads, On the verge of summer before his senior year, Jay is a soft soul in a world of concrete. While his older brother is everything people expect a man to be, tough, athletic, and in charge, Jay simply blends into the background to everyone, except when it comes to Leroy. Unsure of what he could have possibly done to catch the eye of the boy who could easily have anyone he wants, Jay isn't about to ignore the surprising but welcome attention. But as everything in his world begins to heat up, especially with Leroy, whispered rumors over the murder of a young black journalist and long-brewing territory tensions hang like a dark cloud over his neighborhood. And when Jay and Leroy find themselves caught in the crossfire, Leroy isn't willing to be the reason Jay's life is a risk. Dragged into the world of the Black Diamonds, whose work to protect the black neighborhoods of Savannah began with his father and now falls to his older brother, Leroy knows that finding out who attacked his brother is not only the key to protecting everyone he loves, but also the only way he can ever be with Jay. Wading through a murky history of family trauma and regret, 
Leroy soon discovers that there's no keeping Jay safe when Jay's own family is in just as deep and fighting the undertow of danger just as hard. Now, Jay and Leroy must puzzle through secrets hiding in plain sight and scramble to uncover who is determined to eliminate the Black Diamonds before someone else gets hurt, even if the cost might be their own electric connection. As a gay man, I have experienced plenty of rejection and bullying in my life, as most gay men have. Still, as a white man, I have a privilege that people of color will never have. So to read a story about gay young men is one thing, but to read a story of gay young men of color and their experiences is something completely different. I love that these stories are being told. The book is told in the alternating voices of Jay and Leroy, two young black men from Savannah. Jay is on the softer side, always has been. His older brother is everything a man should be. Tough, very protective. All things that Jay is not. When Jay learns that Leroy has been looking for him, he's certain it's because Leroy wants to kick his ass. Imagine his surprise when he finds out Leroy actually has a crush on him, and has for a while. With this newfound attention, Jay's summer before his senior year begins to look a lot different than it did, but it doesn't come without drama and an underlying sense of unease. When a young black journalist is murdered, Jay and Leroy find themselves in the middle of something that could very easily put both their lives in danger. One of the things that really stood out for me was the distinct voices of Jay and Leroy. The author captured both perfectly. Often when you read a book that's told from dual points of view, the characters' voices rarely differ enough that you immediately know which character you're living with at the moment. That was not the case here. I love it when an author can pull this off so effortlessly. Adam Silvera is another author who I feel manages to do this really well. The relationship between Jay and Leroy was beautifully developed. It felt authentic and genuine, and I found myself rooting for them from the very beginning. Their connection is electric, and I appreciated how their bond was portrayed as something precious and worth fighting for. The way Leroy is willing to risk everything to protect his loved ones, including Jay, was genuinely heartwarming. It added depth to the story and made their connection even more powerful. The author does a fantastic job of portraying the complexities of family dynamics and how they can influence our choices and actions. I also love the relationship both young men had with their families. I love seeing tight familial bonds versus teens battling with their parents, especially in young adult literature. While the character development of Jay and Leroy was exceptional, I would have liked to see more exploration of some of the other characters in the book. There's a large and dynamic cast, and I felt that some of the side characters deserved a little more attention and development. However, this did not detract from my overall enjoyment of the story. The plot is pretty well-paced and kept me engaged throughout. The author skillfully weaved together elements of mystery, romance, and family drama to create a multifaceted and compelling narrative. The inclusion of the murder of a young black journalist and the exploration of territory tensions added a thought-provoking element to the story as well. It shed light on the challenges faced by Black communities and the importance of unity and resilience in the face of adversity. The author handled these sensitive topics with care and provided a nuanced perspective that added depth to the overall narrative. The writing style is engaging, kept me hooked from start to finish. The author effortlessly draws readers into Jay and Leroy's world. The dialogue was realistic and the emotions felt genuine. The pacing was well-balanced, with moments of intense action and quieter introspective scenes. Pretty is a captivating and engrossing novel that delves into themes of love, family, and resilience. 
With its well-paced plot, authentic characters, and descriptive writing style, this book is a must-read for fans of contemporary fiction. Jay and Leroy are endearing protagonists who will capture your heart. I definitely recommend it to anyone looking for a powerful and emotional read that's outside your typical young adult gay romance. I gave it four stars. That's all I have for you this week. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram. I say this every week, I know. The handle there is at justreaditalreadypod. You can also learn more about all of the books that I mentioned today by checking out the website at justreaditalready.com. Join me next week when I share my thoughts on Nathan Hill's Wellness, Alex E. Harrow's Starling House, Jess Armstrong's The Curse of Penrith Hall, and Mona Awad's Rouge. I'll see you then. Thank you.